When you're married, you communicate in oh-so-subtle ways. The eyebrow, the tilt of the head, the this. <laughs> hey, we're doing a series on overcoming power. And we're talking about the power. It's about the power that God has given to us and just different abilities that we have to overcome certain things. And we're talking about overcoming discouragement. And uh, we're going to talk about overcoming your thoughts. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. Anybody knows your mind can have a mind of its own? Does anybody know that? Your mind can run away at times. Uh, power over your thoughts. Our lives are directly by, affected by the way that we think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a person thinks or believes in their heart, so they are. This is one of the things that the scripture tells us and teaches us repeatedly. And part of our discipleship is retraining the way that we think. Renewing the mind, the Bible says. One of my favorite arguments is always uh, from like non-believers or critics or observance of, of, of the gospel. It's like, you Christians are brainwashed. Well, I got news for you. Everybody's brainwashed. Every single person, someone, somewhere, somehow is going to influence the way that you think. The difference between us and anybody else is like we get to choose who's, I get to choose who's washing my brain. That's, that's, the, that's the difference. Mankind, we are created to be vessels. Man was never created to be sufficient in and of himself. We are always, we are receptacles and recipients. And we become what we, what we associate with. We become what we listen to. We become what we watch. Those all become influences over our lives. So as a person believes or thinks in their heart, so they are. And so Dr. Jesus comes to us to give us a checkup from the neck up, all right? And to deal with you on your stinking thinking, okay? <laughs> It's impossible to talk about thinking without first understanding that you're loved. It's the cornerstone of all of the kingdom, that you have to understand that you're loved. And so the first thing I want you to know this morning is that you're loved. Did you know that? Did you know that? And we think love's this emotional experience, and some guys are like, oh, I don't really like love. You know, Jesus loves me. What is that like? I don't get it. It means he's forever working towards your good. He's forever moving in your high. Right now, God is working on your behalf towards your highest good. He is working actively to align situations and circumstances in your favor. He is working actively over your life, but he really wants to work in and through your life if you'll let him. The problem is, is that God does everything by default. Like he's working around you, but what he really wants to do is work in and through you. But that requires a partnership. That requires for you to come into some kind of agreement with him and to actually allow him to do that. Jeremiah 31, I love this verse. It says, the Lord appeared to his people from afar. There's a distance between God and his people, right? Well, who put the distance there? Well, Jesus didn't put them there. They put the distance between him, themselves and the Lord. And the Lord appears to them from afar. And he says, I love you with an everlasting love. Even though you've separated yourself from me, even though you think you've got it all figured out and you've gone your way, I want you to know that even in the separation, I am loving you and I'm working on your behalf. And I'm, in fact, drawing you with kindness. God will be kind to you. Say this with me. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, this is good for you. Some of you, this is therapy this morning right here. You're going to get a B12 shot right now. <laughs> Let me just say this. Jesus will be kind to me in spite of me. He's going to be kind to you in spite of you. Nice to you for no other reason other than he wants to be. But more than just nice, kind. Kind. My wife and I, we have these conversations, and uh, there's always, you know, my kids, it's like, if they don't pick up the gospel directly, they're going to pick it up by the atmosphere that they're around because... We're, we're like really high-strung people. I don't know if you guys have been around us at all at all, right? We would go to counseling, and the counselor would look at us and go, I have never met a couple like, quite like you. We've done that a couple of times, actually, in counseling sessions where we've confounded the counselor, but he's like, I don't understand. How did you guys get married? How are you guys together? Because <laughs> we're both really 
you know, but we force Jesus into our home and he's the one who creates the harmony and he creates the atmosphere. And we've been having this conversation and we, we, we come up with these little sayings to like really just try to reinforce things and not just our own hearts, but in our, in our, in our marriage and in our home. And I've been saying this for a while. I said, Jesus is the kindest person I've ever met. And I keep telling myself that over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what's going to happen when you, if you start saying that? Not just think it, say it. Jesus is the kindest person I've ever met. And then I say, the Holy Spirit is the most beautiful person I've ever met. And you can just feel the atmosphere shift. You can just feel internally something begins to change in you. And people talk to me, why do you follow Jesus? I'm like, he's the kindest person I've ever met. That's, that's my, you know, and, and we come up with these little things and we, we, we say it. And I, you know, and I share it with, I, you know, I, I, I tell my kids the same thing. And even when I'm talking with my daughter, I'm like, call on the Lord. That Jesus will be kind to you in spite of you. And do you know why? Because he's the kindest person you'll ever meet. The Bible says, open your mouth wide. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. He's kind. He's kind. He's merciful. He's loving. For no other reason other than he wants to be. That's why we're created. We're created to be loved, man. We're created by love and for love. Well, then what's with all this other stuff? All of this other stuff is because he has to protect us. It, but the essence of this is it, everything that God has done, is the, the purpose of everything is to bring you into relationship with him so that he can love you. That's the whole point. Everything that he has done and orchestrated is to bring mankind into relationship so that he can love them. Work on their good, work for their good, and work in the highest way on behalf of them. You're loved. Psalm 139, 17. Well, here, let me finish this with Jeremiah. He says, I draw you with unfailing kindness. And he says, Israel, which is his people, you have been cut down. If you walk away from the Lord, I'm going to tell you right now. Write it down. Twitter it. Put it in a memo, voicemail, whatever you got to do. If you, when you depart from the Lord and you walk away and you start doing your own thing, you, Jesus still loves you. I'm saved. I can do what I want. Okay, yeah, go for that. But what you need to know is life will cut you down will cut you down. And so here we see a people who separated themselves willingly from the Lord. They've distanced themselves, and the Lord still says, I love you. In spite of this distance, I want you to know I'm working on your behalf. And I want you to know that even though life's cut you down, what's he say? I'll build you back up. Come on. Life can cut you down, but Jesus will always build you up. Always. You're, that's right. Come on. Got one. You guys got to try to compete with Moist, man. You got to try to keep up with him, right? So when he claps, that's room for chorus of, of clap there. <laughs> he loves you. Say this with me. My heavenly father is in the restoration business, and he's an expert. He knows how to restore you. He knows how to rebuild you. He's a builder. He's a master builder. Master builder. He can rebuild anything. He can fix anything. Psalm 139, so the first way of thinking is you need to know and understand that your love, you need to know and understand that God is kind and he'll be kind to you for no other reason other than he wants to be. You need to understand Psalm 139, how precious are your thoughts towards me, O God, and how great are the sum of them. You may not always think about Jesus, but you know what the Bible says? He's always thinking about you. Why? Because you're his child. Because you're his creation. His, you, are, you are the love of his heart. And you say, yeah, but there's so many of us. You don't know how big he is. <laughs> he is enormous. There, there's always room. When you read even in the Gospels where Jesus sends them out and says, I, like a, a, a servant going away to fill his house to invite people to a banquet, and he comes into the banquet hall and he goes, there's not enough people here. Go find more. And they're like, Lord, we've gone to everybody that's worth anything. Then he goes, then go to the worthless. He said, if the nobles will not come, then let them forfeit their place. And let them go find, they'll go to the highways, go to the byways, go to the hedges, go to the streets, go to wherever. And he said, you know what he tells them? He said, fill my house. Fill my house. There's always room. You have an abundant God. Heaven's not broke. Heaven will never be broke. There's no shortage of love with Jesus. There's no shortage of compassion. He has, no, he has enough resources for all of us and then some. And if he runs out of resources, you know what he does? He makes it. One of my favorite verses is when he tells David, he said, if I needed anything, David, I wouldn't tell you. You think I need anything? 
And if I did, you're not the guy I'm going to talk to about it. I'll take care of it. I'm the infinite God with the infinite power. You were created by love and for his love. The goodness of God and his love are the cornerstones of thinking. If you want to practice thought control, and thought control for Christians is a necessary discipline. It's something that we must force ourselves to do consistently. And you have to constantly remind yourself daily that God is with you. God is for you. He is not against you. And he is actively working on your behalf. And he is kind. And if I will go to the Lord, he will help you. I haven't been to him days without number. It doesn't matter. He's going to be glad to see you. You say, I was just there five minutes ago. I need something to get. It doesn't matter. He's going to be glad to see you. Big part of my discipleship when I first became a believer is that I thought I was bothering Jesus. Oh, I don't want to ask the Lord. I'm bothering him. You know where you get that from? You get that mirrored from your parents, right? God's not a man, right? We get that mirrored sometimes, and I think that would bother him. And it's like I told a pastor one time, I said, I feel like I'm always depending on Jesus, or I'm always needing something from him. And he goes, that's exactly where he wants you. That's exactly where you need to be. In him, you live, move, and have your being. Everything is necessary from him. He, when you, you, you do what you can, then you go to him for the supply. Then you do what you can, then you go to him for the supply. Then you partner with him in the process. You're going with him through the journey. You have to understand that God loves you. He loves, he's, you're created by love. You're created for love. This is the cornerstone. God is good, and he loves you. He loves you. Let's take it to another level. You see, Jesus loves everybody. Christian, the bread is for the believer. You are exceptional among all people, among all people. You're not just exceptional by the rights of inheritance that you have. You're exceptional by the identity that Jesus gives you. You're sons and daughters of a high king, the highest. There is none higher than him. You say, we're all God's children. Wrong answer. You know what I say to you? Who told you that? That's not biblical. We're all God's creation. But only those in Christ are sons and daughters. To those who received him have been given the power to be the sons and daughters of God. No one else is given the power or the identity or the title to be called sons and daughters of God. No one else has even given, been given the title to be called the children of God. People who don't know Christ, they're the created. We are the sons and daughters. We are the exceptional. You are, you are the elite among all people. You are the loved among all people. You say, that's such an arrogant statement. Nothing fair about favor, people. I take it. I didn't ask for it. He gave it to me. He gave it to me. I didn't earn it. He gave it to me. Even in my dysfunction, he calls me son. He gives nations for ransom. You need a job? I always tell people, believe God and ask God. Somebody's going to get fired so that you can get that job. I, I don't know what if anybody, what if the, Jesus will give nations for your ransom? That person will lose the job in order for you. That person will lose the deal in order for you. God will make a way where there is no way, and he will ransom someone else for the sake of his elect. Yeah? Would, would you not do the same for your child? Would you not? If there's two scholarships on the table, and somebody's going to get it, and you get to decide who? And it's between your child and somebody else's? Who's going to get it? Not going to be the neighbors. I can tell you that right now. You think he sees you any differently? You are his loved and his beloved. And he eagerly and hungrily and desires to bless you. And you need to stand in the light of your provision. And you need to stand in the light of your identity. And you need to claim your inheritance without shame. Without shame. Do you know why? Because it's not based on you. If it was based on you, then we could probably measure it by you. But it's not based on you, so we're not measuring you. We're measuring Jesus. And he's immeasurable. Okay? So my position is not based on me. I'm a son. Well, you don't look like one. Oh, well, I am. I'm a son of the highest. I'm an heir of this world and in the world to come. What does that mean? I'm figuring it out. I have authority in the spirit. And if I understand my authority in the spirit, I can manifest it in the natural. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm figuring it out. I will judge angels. All things are in subjection under my feet. Christ is my head. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm figuring it out. I don't deny the identity of it. I don't claim perfect understanding. I may not look like it, but I am. Say this with me. I may not look like it, <laughs> but I am. All changes begins with the way that you think. Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful what you think. 
because your thoughts will run your life. Eh? Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. As you think, so you are. You have to be careful with the way that you think because those thoughts begin to run you. Einstein said the present problems cannot be solved with the same level of thinking that created them. Can I get a witness? You got problems, you need to change the way that you think. You got lifestyle patterns, you need to change the way that you think. Some of you need to change your association. You will only rise to the level of the five closest people in your life. If the level of people that you're thinking, the five closest friends, if you look at their life, that's where you're going to be. You will only rise to the level of the five of your association. That will be it. You have to go around high-level thinkers or people that think differently. It's true. Thoughts affect your feelings. We're like, well, I need to feel, and then I'll, you know, I just feel this certain way. The way that you think affects your feelings as you perceive that where therefore you feel and you act. Most people act out of emotion. It just felt right. How many of you would like to take back some decisions that just felt right? <laughs> Can't I get that one back? <laughs> or it seemed right at the time. <laughs> your thoughts affect your feelings. So here's a, in the book of 2 Kings, there's a king named Saul. Saul ends up killing himself, and he kills himself out of a negative perception. He perceived that the enemy, because he had lost the battle, his perception was the enemy was going to kill him, and they were upon him. And so he perceived that they were going to take him down, that everything was going to be lost in that moment. And he fell on his sword, and he killed himself. He perceived something, and he therefore he felt, the Bible says he despaired, and then he killed himself over that. But the, 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 the reality is the Philistines who were attacking him didn't find him till the next day. They were nowhere near him. And worse than that, the battle wasn't over by any long shot. Because David immediately became king. The, king, the, the Philistines didn't rule the nation. They, he lost one battle. One battle. But his perception was that he had lost everything when only he had lost one battle. Sometimes you think you lost everything and you've only lost one fight. For every setback, Jesus has a comeback. Right? You think I lost everything? No, it's in one fight, Christian. It's one fight. And Saul thought he lost it all. He could have went to David and said, hey, David, help me. David still had an army, didn't he? David didn't, they didn't, just, they didn't depose David. If the Philistines had truly conquered the nation as he perceived, they would have overrun the whole, the whole land, but they didn't. His perception brought a feeling, and he acted in despair out of a perception. He perceived. Perception creates reality, but perception is not truth. We need to say that. Perception, perception. creates reality, but reality, reality. is not truth. As you see things, so things are. But just because you have a reality that's in front of you, that reality is not truth. It's not truth. The Bible says do not fix your things on the things that are, te- on, on the things that are material or temporal, because, or the, the things that we see, the natural, because what is natural is subject to change. We fix our eyes on the eternal, because what is eternal does not change. In other words, don't look at reality, look at truth. Truth is unchanging. Just because you're seeing something in the immediate doesn't mean that's truth. That's truth. You say, I failed. Who told you that? Well, that's my reality. Yeah, but that's not truth. Truth says you're more than a conqueror. Truth, thinks God, truth says God works everything out to your good. <laughs> Isn't that true? doesn't matter what the perception is. The, but per, we, we get mocked or we, we feel that our perception, our, we do not live by perception. We live by truth. We do not live by reality, Christian. We live by truth. Truth. No matter what the circumstances says. What the enemy does is he creates realities to reinforce a lie. You believe a lie that you're a loser. And he will constantly create realities around you to reinforce the lie. Until you break covenant with the lie and begin to position yourself in truth. And begin to live in truth in spite of your reality. Nothing changes. That's why it's called a walk of faith. Faith means we believe something regardless of what our reality is. It's true regardless of what we see about ourselves or believe about our circumstances. This is the gospel. This is the spirit. This is the kingdom. We're taught so much to live by by what we see. We're, We're in a world of the five senses. Mankind was not created to live by five senses. But that's so natural to us. Of course it is because we're locked in a world of time and space. But mankind was created to live by the spirit. 
Jesus, nowhere does it say, Jesus said, the Father seeks those who will worship him in the five senses. But you know why? Jesus is always calling us back to the origin of our creation. Spirit-filled beings living by the Spirit and through the Spirit in spite of what we see. Now, perception is good if it aligns up with truth, okay? Perception is good as long as it lines up with truth. If you see yourself as a son and a daughter, that's a good perception, and that lines up with truth. And if you understand that and you begin to live that way, you're going to see your reality is going to change. As you pursue truth, truth becomes reality. Or per, as you pursue truth, truth becomes the reality. Our problem is, is we don't pursue truth or we don't pursue truth long enough for it to manifest. Some of you don't follow Jesus long enough for there to be any, ch any significant change in your life because every time you do, it doesn't work and you need to leave. Or you pursue truth and your reality changes and you start feeling better about yourself or you start your circumstances change and then you go off and do your own thing again only to watch your world fall apart and then you come hobbling back in. <laughs> True. Perception is good as long as it's founded in truth. You also have to understand that there's a war for your thoughts. Did you know that? Modern American Christianity portrays the gospel as a cruise ship. We're just cruising along. I love cruises. Cruises are the bomb, okay? I'm not really a Carnival Cruise Line guy because it's a little too much jello shots going on on Carnival. <laughs> too many beer bongs in the, in the, go, 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 go. I feel like I'm at a frat party when I, we did Carnival, but, but I love cruising, right? I'm sorry. I know I'm digressing. It's just my experience. It was an experience. But we think, that, that we, think that, we think that Christianity or the gospel is a cruise ship. You know, we're just sailing along, sailing along. Cru it's the gospel, say this with me, the gospel, the gospel. It's not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. You're on a battleship, believer. You're in a war. There's a constant pull, constant pull, tug of war, a battle for your thoughts, a battle to own. The enemy can do nothing with you until he gets an agreement. Nothing. So what the devil has tried to do is to bring you in an agreement that is contrary to what is true. That's what he does. You're a loser. No, I'm not. You're a loser. Look around you. You're a loser. Nobody likes you. No, Jesus likes me. No, seriously. Jesus doesn't like you. He knows what you did last Tuesday. He doesn't like you either. You're right. I did do that last Tuesday. Jesus must not like me. And you're right. Nobody likes me. And then he empowers the lie. He does nothing until he can get you into an agreement. Nothing. He couldn't do anything with Adam. Stand there. He could manifest himself in full demonic whatever. And he couldn't do anything to Adam until Adam came into an agreement. He can do nothing in your life until he comes into an agreement. The things that he does do in your life are because there's an existing agreement. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's an existing agreement with you. There's lies that you believe. There may be generational issues. Or there's direct disobedience on your part that enables him to have power over you. That's it. That's it. He doesn't do anything arbitrary. He's not making it up. He can only do what he's allowed to do or what you allow him to do. Most Christians are completely blind to anything that he does, where the Bible directly tells us to be not ignorant of the devil or his devices. It tells us, don't be ignorant. It's not like we're looking for, for the devil under every rock, but you know, we're not running around looking for demons. But we're also to be aware that this is not natural. And here's the greatest lie. God's doing this to you. That's his best lie. God's doing this to you. This is what the Lord's doing to you. God's judging you. This is a judgment of God on you. And he lies and he tells you that God's not good. And he lies and he tells you God's not, God doesn't love you. And you go, look around. Why would this be happening if God wasn't doing it? Uh, because there's a devil. That's, that's probably why that, that's happening. So he creates, a lie, he creates a reality to reinforce a lie. So he does all the time. And you have to understand this war. And you have to understand this conflict. And once you understand it, you know, once you learn the wrestling moves of your opponent, you can defeat them. Any NFL fans here? All right. So anybody know who Dak Prescott is? Okay. Dak Prescott, year one in the NFL, was blazing. I mean, he lit it up. But you know what happened year two? Everybody studied his style and his methods, and the, and, the, and the defense adjusted to what he was doing. So one of the things in the NFL, you know the good quarterbacks that are high level year in and year out because the NFL is a, is a game of adjustment. 
constant adjustment. They'll learn. The NBA is the same way. You don't like to dribble to your left, so you know what they're going to do. They're going to put pressure on your right hand because they know you don't want to dribble to your left. They find your weakness and they expose it. We need to understand what the enemy, the enemy has a consistent pattern of tactics. It's consistent. It's, it's, not, it's not hard. He, he does certain things and he hides them, but that's only at like advanced places. Most of the stuff that he's doing is easily recognizable. Easily recognizable. You have three opponents in your war. You have a world, you have the flesh, and you have the devil. This is the opponents in this world. The first, the first enemy is a culture, a cultural mindset, right? Can you drink water that's infiltrated with salt water? Can you? Very, very limitedly. But what ends up happening is the water becomes brackish because the salt water has infiltrated the fresh water. And when the water becomes brackish because it's infiltrated by salt water, what ends up happening is you're constantly thirsty. That water never fully satisfies, and it doesn't do what it's intended to do because it has been infiltrated by brackish water. The church allows a cultural mindset into its midst sometimes, right? Because we don't know how to navigate the kingdom. So we're either religiously correct and stoic and keep the world away and condemn the world. Ah! <laughs> Or we're so socially tolerant that there's no difference between us and the world. And we don't understand the dynamic of our, we don't know how to position ourselves in between the two worlds in which we find ourselves. We don't know how to do that. But the opponents in this world is a cultural mindset. You're not called to think like the culture. You're called to think like the kingdom. Let's just say that. I am not called to think like the culture. I'm called to think like the kingdom. And say this with me. I don't know what that means, but I want to understand that more. It's okay to admit you don't know what it means. Jesus gives you tons of concepts that we don't understand what it means, but you can want it, right? He gives you a concept and you go, wow. And what we do is we go, well, I don't know if I want that because I don't understand what it means. Well, Jesus gives you concepts and I go, I don't know what that means, but I want it. And what I discovered is when I desire it and I pursue the things, even if I don't understand it, understanding comes to me. But understanding doesn't come to me at a distance. Understanding comes to me as through, through intimacy and through engagement, right? Okay, I'm going to talk to the ladies in the room. That man can't understand you unless he gets intimate and engages you. Is that true? No? I got one woman that says yes. Okay. Else is it? <laughs> you have to know her. And the only way you're going to know her is up close and personal. That's the only way. Women understand that a lot. That's what they want. They want intimacy with the man. They want to know the man. They want to know about him. They want to understand him. They want to know his strengths, his weaknesses. They want to be a part of what he is. But men sometimes don't get that. They don't get that the fact that you're not going to know the woman until a, to, unless you commit, you won't know her. Oh, come on, ladies, help me out. Help me help you, right? <laughs> That girl acting like I never, like, no, that's not true at all. I've been married for 30 years. I think I understand this a little bit. Not fully. I'm still learning. I still, I, but the training wheels are off, okay? <laughs> I think we took the training wheels off last year. Sherry, you know, I think we got that done. But anyway, we, so we have a world mindset. We don't have to think that way. We have flesh, okay? Our flesh, our flesh is an enemy, Right? The Bible says that the carnal mind, which is the selfish mind, is the enemy of God. This is where your mind has a mind of its own. I want that. I will that. I, you know, the things that desire, say this with me. This is important. I need to reinforce this to you. Desire is not the enemy. Self-centered desire at the expense of the Lord is. It's not desire. Desire, you're created to have desire. But your desires are to be in communion with him. All right, let's put it in. It's okay to want money, but in relationship to the context that he has defined it, in partnership with his kingdom. You've been given the power to get wealth. Yes. Every one of you. Deuteronomy 8.18, there's a meditation for you. It's not about money. Uh, some of it's about money, right? You wouldn't have a place to stay. You wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you know, I mean, you wouldn't show up at work if it, if it you know. God has given you that ability, and there's nothing wrong with it. So he does not condemn the desire for that. But the problem is, is that it's misaligned. It's for selfish purposes only. 
There's no desire, there's nothing condemned about the, the desire for a relationship or the desire for communion and companionship within a relationship. There's nothing wrong with that, so long as it's aligned with him. God, doesn't, God does not want people eternally single, unless, of course, the person wants it themselves. You know, He made men and women to come together, but come together under the context that he has established, Right? without getting off on a teaching on marriage, which it seems like somebody in here, I don't know what's going on, but there's some, some kind of... So we just release that out, whatever's going on, wherever it is, however it's happening here. I don't even know, but there's something on relationships stirring in the room. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the desire for relationships so long as it's done in the context of his heart. You understand this? There's nothing wrong with desire. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be someone. So long as that someone is in the context of your father's kingdom. There's nothing wrong with wanting to change the world. So long as the desire to change the world is in the context of your father's kingdom. You understand that? Christians, I, I, tell, I, tell, I even tell pastor friends of mine, because they tell, I hear these messages, and it's like, it's like this, this constant kill of desire. Murder desire, you know? <laughs> Like we're Buddhists. I'm like, Buddhists believe in nothing and have, no, have an absence of materialism. We're not Buddhists. We're Christians. Yes. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you what? You think Jesus is against desire? No. It's our, our deal is to take our desires and put them in the context of what he wants. And we don't know what that means. So we have to figure that, That's why Jesus told the Pharisees over and over again, go and find out what this means. Go and find out what this means. He tells them that. That's a repeated thing that he told them. He did it as a rebuke and a correction, but to us it's an invitation. What does it mean to have a relationship in the context of what my father wants? What does that mean? What does it mean to have a business or the ability to create wealth or the ability to change the world or the, the desire to be someone significant? What does that mean in the context of what my father's, in context of my father's world? Go and find out what that means. I'm telling you, some of you, you guys are hitting brick walls in your life because you're pursuing things and the motive is wrong. That's James. You want, you don't have because your, your focus is on you. You desire to consume it upon yourself. That's why you don't have it. What he's telling them is what I'm telling you. It's out of alignment with what he wants or, what, or the harmony of his kingdom. That is no problem with you having anything, but you're not created for yourself. You're created for him. Amen. Significance, all of that. So selfish, self-centered mindsets work against us. And then demonic mindsets. Well, what in the world is that? James 3 said, if you have bitterness, envy, and self-seeking. <gasps> Do not boast and lie against the truth. For this wisdom, that manner of thinking, does not come from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where, Say this with me. It's one of my favorite verses. I have a lot of them, but this is one of them. I tell myself this a lot. Where there's envy, where there's envy and self-seeking... There is confusion and every evil thing. Yeah. Yeah. Seeking for the sake of self at the expense first of the Lord and then the expense of others. That's our problem. That's, that's literally the root of sin. Self, selfishness for the One, two.
whole way and, and people have told you your whole life that's a negative, why do you care so much? It's a gift. Amen. It's a gift. Some of the things that we perceive to be negatives are actually gifts to us. They're given to us. Aren't you glad? So the way that we change our thinking is, number one, you realize that you've got to change the way you think. That's the number one thing. You have to change the way that you're thinking, right? And there's three things you need to do. You need repentance, you need power, and you need activation. Say it with me. Repentance, repentance power, power, and activation. activation. Repent means return and see it differently. In other words, here's what, let me give you repentance on thinking. Here's what repentance looks like. Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no clue. I have no good ideas. Here's everything that I think, and I'm gonna, I want to think differently. That's what it means. You return to the Lord. You admit you know nothing. You, that, that's probably the wisest position. You hear me say this. The wisest position you could ever have is that I have no good ideas. Jesus, you're the only good idea I have. When you know what to do, do that. When you know God's wisdom, do that. But when you think, when you're working off of your own reasoning and your own intellect, don't go there. Don't go there. <laughs> in all your ways acknowledge him and he lean not upon your own understanding don't lean into what you think it's not i've learned a hard lesson in my life and it doesn't matter what i think it's what the holy spirit tells me it's what the scripture tells me and what the holy spirit is telling me i get i frustrate people sometimes because sometimes my decision making process is a little slow and if i'm making a decision i want to hear the lord i want to hear the lord and sometimes he's like, whatever you want to do. Other times it's wait, listen, you know, and I want to hear. And usually when I hear, which is a big majority of my life now, is I'm right. I'm right. You know, and, and when I guess, I'm usually wrong. Sometimes I get lucky and I actually hit the target. I mean, I'm not even close to the bullseye, but at least I hit the target. You know, with Jesus, I'm almost always on the money. You have to realize that you need to return and see things differently. You need to change the way that you think. You need to transform your mind. You need to start thinking in a kingdom mindset, right? And one of the ways you think in a kingdom mindset is, is you, begin to, you begin to hear the Holy Spirit. You begin to see from his world and not see from yours. You begin to think as he thinks, see as he sees. You need wisdom. All your friends are saying, do this, but the Bible tells you to do that. Which one do you think you should listen to? That's right. Jesus says, I know your deeds, I know your work, I know your perseverance, but I notice this. Your love relationship with me is not as it used to be. There's an intimacy that seems to have separated with you and me. He said, remember what it was like before you left. And he says, repent. What is he saying? Come back. Come back to me, change your mind and attitude, and return and do the things that you did at first. Repentance is a realization of a wrong direction and a return to the right one. You come back and you go a different way. That's what repentance truly is. Greek word metanoia, Hebrew word teshuva. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above. Set. You want to change the way you think? First of all, you've got to realize that you, you, you're thinking wrong. Then what you've got to do is you've got you to surrender your intellect. That's really hard for people. Surrender their intellect. Surrendering the things that, God, that you think you know. That's so hard. You know what's really hard? I'll give you an even harder one. It's hard for people who are really trained in thinking, but it's also hard for pastors and religious leaders to change the way that they think. It doesn't even matter. I've seen guys could be confronted with clear truth and revelation, but they can't change the way they think because they've been trained in a traditional way. They can't change the way they think because this is a denominational viewpoint. They can't change the way they think because they believe this way for 15, 20 years. Even when they're shown something different, they can't adapt to it. The ones that can adapt to it are those who are like children. Kids don't know anything, right? They're eager. They want to be shown. Show me what to do. 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 They're eager learners. And when we're eager like that with the Lord, he can show you something. He can teach you something. But when we think we know it all, we know nothing. We're foolish. Intellectual idolatry. We worship what we think. And it, it, it thwarts us. It really does. And a lot of times people don't want to hear anything outside of their own belief system. They don't want to hear anything outside of it until something just literally erodes. Business people sometimes don't want to hear the things that are necessary for them to change because they've done business this way for 20 years. Well, the, the climate has changed. The environment has changed. The atmosphere has changed, right? We see brick-and-mortar stores closing, right, don't we? 
right? Why? Because the business climate has changed. Those that adapted to the new world continue on. Those that could not, they, they can't. The, the, the world has changed. It shifts, right? So we have to be willing to shift. He said to become, and so it tells us to set our mind on things above. This word set means you need to become, and say this with me, I need to be intentional about my attention. This idea of setting your mind is a determined viewpoint. In other words, I'm going to think about heavenly things. I'm going to focus on the goodness of God. I'm going to focus on that God loves me. I'm going to focus on the fact that God is for me even when, I, when I'm against me, that this circumstance is not my end, that this situation is only a beginning, right? I'm going to begin to think that way. I'm going to realize that God is showing me something in the midst of this circumstance, something about himself. He's revealing, wanting to reveal more of his nature to me. I'm going to realize and I'm going to think that this success isn't because of my genius. Let's play both sides, right? A lot of times Christians get successful and they think that they're genius. I am a genius. <laughs> you ever done that? You ever thought you're really smart? I, man, I'm telling you, this is, this is how God trains us. You're tested not just in faith when, with, with less. You are tested in abundance, more Christians pass the test of lack than they do the test of abundance. Did you know that? More, more believers will believe God out of, the, out of the deficiency for his sufficiency and come into a provision. More believers will do that, but those that are tested with abundance, the majority fail. What's abundance? More than you had previously. That's what abundance is. What did you have? Do you have more than you've ever had? You're tested with that abundance. You were called to a level of faithfulness that is consummate with that, with that blessing. And most Christians cannot pass the test of abundance. And because they cannot test, pass the test of abundance, what do you think is the deal? They can go no further. God cannot take them further because they can't pass the test of abundance. So true. I see it all the time. Arrogance sets in. Pride of heart sets in. It just begins to consume them. When you don't have anything, you need Jesus, right? When you got it, I don't need anything. I'm God. I'm smart. My genius has brought me to this level. Then you get your knees taken out, and you're like, oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, how I need you. Every morning, I need you. Every hour of the day. <laughs> so true, man. When you are blessed, you need to see what you need to do. I'll give you a path. You need to see yourself blessed, and you need to see what you're going to do when you get to that point. You need to have a perception. Some of you, you need to back up and examine the blessing that you have now, and you need to go, I'm going further. I'm going to honor God. If I honored him at this level with that, then I need to honor him more at this level. That's how abundance increases. People oftentimes, particularly when it comes to financial giving, I've seen this like numerous times. People don't even have this conversation with me anymore, probably because they've heard me say it so much. Well, I don't give that much anymore, Pastor. Or, or they, they equate the dollar with what they're given without putting it in the proportion of which they, there's equality of giving among the believers. I don't know if you know that. A 10% is a level playing field. So it doesn't matter if you make 10 bucks or if you make 10 million. We all give in proportion to our giving. That's what we're supposed to do. Do you know why? Because it's equality. Equality. The rich don't give more and the poor don't give less. We all give in the equal proportion to the blessing level that we have. That's what we're supposed to do. But most often, the people who make less are the ones who often give more. I don't know if you're aware of that. The rich are the ones who give less. Yeah, I've got guys that are like, oh, I gave, made this, I gave this much money to the church last year, Pastor. I gave $5,000. I had a guy tell me that one time. <laughs> I gave $5,000 to the church last year, so there's a few things I'd like to say. I'm like, well, for everything you've given, let me honor you and let me bless you, but you don't look like a guy who lives on 50000 a year. He shut up. Three houses, two businesses, and you're boasting because you gave five grand? <laughs> Hallelujah, you're a tipper. <laughs> you're not a tither, you're a tipper. You're not even at the level of obedience. Tithing is the level of obedience. That's all it is. That's all it is. We celebrate the fact that we tithe when, when, in fact, if you really want to grade it, the only thing you've reached when you're tithing is a level of obedience. 
What we're called to is abundant and extravagant giving, but we can't reach that because we can't pass the test of abundance. We can't pass it. We keep failing and failing and failing. And then we have a mindset or a way of thinking that is contrary to what he says. We think, oh, no, I don't have to do that. Oh, no, I'm the exception. Or, oh, no, I can't do that or I'm not supposed to. I tell Christians the poor were to give an offering every time. Jesus never looked at them and said, you're exempt. Never. The widow gave mites, two pennies, tink, tink, right? And Jesus didn't get up and go, hold on a second, guys. This woman has nothing. Take that money back. He didn't do it because all were called to honor. The poor couldn't even come before the Lord without an offering. Not allowed. That's not fair. No, he's a great king. You don't understand the concept of honor. You know why you don't understand that? Because you don't understand honor. Jesus knows that if they will honor me, they will access me. But if they will not honor me, they cannot access me because it's a spiritual law. That's why he commands the offering, not because he needs it, but because he's deserving of honor. And the system is created by honor creating access. That's the point. The poor needed to give the offering because it created the access. Without giving the offering, there was no access. They had to come with a turtle dove. And so people, arrogant, stupid, moron believers. If you believe this way, I'm calling you arrogant, stupid, and moronic. Right? Write it down. If you think that God wants it because he needs money, you're arrogant, stupid, and moronic. And you understand nothing. And I'll quote you Mark 7. Are you still dull? Are you still dull? You've been a Christian for 10 years and you still believe you don't have to tithe? Are you still dull? Are you still dull? Well, well, I've heard every excuse in the book. Every excuse. We don't have to. No, you don't have to. There's no law, but you don't understand honor. You do not understand honor. Don't boast about nothing to me when you don't understand a basic principle of honor. Basic. 101. Just saying. <laughs> you don't think I talk to myself this way? What do you think I tell myself? I tell myself the same thing. You know why? Because my flesh wars against me. And I tell myself, you will honor the Lord. I tell myself that. My flesh will not rule me. My mind will not rule me. You will honor the Lord. You will give if they foreclose on your house. I will honor God. Because they won't take my house no matter what it seems. He will provide for me in spite of my circumstance. And again, if you don't understand that, you don't understand anything. Most Christians' are, problems are in direct proportion to their lack of honor to the Lord. And they operate on a worldly financial system that is, that is constantly collapsing. Constantly. Rising and falling with the waves of the culture. Constant. Lack of honor. Some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to, you need to rouse yourself. You need to grab hold of you and command your flesh into submission. Your will needs to be brought into subject. You will go to church today. I don't feel like it. <laughs> I'm going for one reason alone because it honors my father. Amen. If I go to this place for nothing and everybody hates me and, every, and I don't look the same or whatever and I hate that, the message, whatever, whatever the problem is, I'm here for one reason alone, honor. Honor. I'm telling you, your worship experience will completely change if you come with the attitude of honor. We think it's convenient. If it feels good, if I have time, if I'm not doing anything this Sunday, I'll show up. So stupid. So stupid. That is the cultural mindset of the American church, and it's stupid. And we are futile and without power. Entertainment. Woo! Light shows, Ferraris, rich and in need of nothing, but we are poor, wretched, and naked, not understanding anything, thinking everything's about self-indulgence. Everything. It's about self-indulgence. It's about you. It's about let's entertain the people. What? Let's honor Jesus. How about that one? 
Can we build on that premise? Rather than building on the premise of entertain the people, can we build on the premise of honor the Lord? Can we do that one? Can we shift? (laughs) I'm preaching to myself. (laughs) Tony, you got to tell yourself that. Your flesh is going to want to rule you. Yeah. You're going to get blessed. You're going to get five, 10, 30, 50,000. You're going to get a $25,000 a year raise. Somebody out here is going to get a raise. Bonus. Right? (laughs) Boom, there it is. All right? (laughs) You want that one. And you're going to be tempted to give less. You give more. You give more. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to share my, my stories, but I won't. It's impossible without power. The good news is power is available. Power is available. You're not without power, Christian. You have power. Our sinful nature comes to control our mind. There's death. When you let your flesh control your mind, the Bible says nothing good happens. But if you let the Holy Spirit control your mind, then there's life and peace. Get in the atmosphere of the Spirit. Get in the mind of Christ and follow follow his leading and his direction. What a gift. Oh, so neglected. What a gift. What a gift. What's your favorite thing? Anybody? What favorite car? Anybody? Porsche. Porsche. If I told you you had access to 100 Porsches, would you line them up in the driveway and never drive them? Some people go, well, if I only had one, I probably would drive it occasionally. But let me tell what if I told you you had a lim- an access to a limitless supply of Porsches? Would you drive it every day? You'd drive it everywhere you went country roads, you'd plow the field with it because you got a hundred of them in the driveway. <laughs> Wouldn't bother you. If you had access to something that was a gift that was limitless and you didn't use what was limitless because you had access to it, you'd be considered stupid or foolish. It was true. You got a hundred Porsches and you won't drive one of them? How foolish are you? We have access to power and we don't access it? How foolish of us? How foolish of us? You need to learn these things. Practicing the presence of God is a necessary part and a discipline we need to learn. Jesus said, if you learn to obey my word, you will be my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's spiritual power established on the word of God. Say this with me. This is important. I I talk about the Holy Spirit all the time, but I want you to understand this. Say this with me. The Holy Spirit Spirit has a language. language. Anybody know what it's called? Scripture. That's right. The Holy Spirit speaks scripture. You want to learn to hear the Lord? Begin to build the foundation of scripture within you. That scripture is what the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks everything in context to and in relationship of the scripture. So whatever he tells you has support within the, within the verse or within the Bible. He may not quote you chapter and verse. He'll quote you chapter and verse. If you know chapter and verse, he'll call it to your memory. But if you've put the foundation of the scripture inside of you, he's going to speak to you in context and in relationship to the scripture. He's going to counsel you in alignment with the Bible. Always. That's his language. He testifies of the word. He testifies of Jesus. Last thing is activation. What does that mean? Activation means do it. That's what it means. Just do it. Right? I like this, ver- I like this translation. Our weapons have God's power to demolish the enemies of strong places. We can knock down all the worldly arguments and pride defenses that set up against our minds and against the knowledge of God. This is war. Ready to say this with me. Capture the rebel thoughts and make them give up and obey Christ. This word capture is malotizo, and it means take by force of action or will. Some of you, you need to take thoughts captive by force of action or will and go, I will not believe that anymore. I'm not going to believe that I'm nothing. I'm not going to believe that I'm a loser. I'm not going to believe that my identity comes from my family history. I'm not going to believe that my identity comes from my work history or from my education. I refuse to believe that. That is a rebel thought. I will take that and subdue it. My identity comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. And I am his son or, I, or you are his daughter. I will take that thought captive and I will subdue it into what is true. That's what's true. I refuse to believe that I will fail. I refuse. I refuse. Failure is not an option. I refuse to believe that just because I fail or I lose one battle, the fight's over. I refuse to believe that. The only way I lose as a Christian is, is if I quit. 
I will not believe that. I choose to believe this. I will take the rebel thought capture, captive. We capture the rebel thoughts. The obedience. I, gotta, I, I had to put this in a pronunciation. Hupakayo means forceful obedience. It means I'm taking hold of this thought and I'm injecting what is, for, what is right. You're countering the lie with what is true. Okay? I'm a loser. Who told you that? I'm nobody. Who told you that? I'm unwanted. Who told you that? Nobody loves me. Who told you that? I'll never succeed. Who told you that? It's all about me. Who told you that? I'm a genius. Who told you that? <laughs> I'm a genius in Christ. I'm not a genius in and of myself. I'm, I'm insanely intelligent when I'm in the mind of Christ. I'm like, wow. Like, I'm like, man, that's the smartest thing you've said all day, Kevin. You know, it's like, in, G in the spirit, you are. You are genius because you're connected to genius. In the spirit, you are intensely creative because you're, crea you're, you're, you're uh, connected to the creator. In the spirit, you are all of that, but you're not that without Christ. In Christ, you are. Take it, pull force from captive, and force it into obedience. How do we do this? We worship. Begin to worship. This is how we activate the Holy Spirit. Worship. Adoration. Holy Spirit, come. Read your Bible and get into the mind of Christ. Begin to, once you get into the spirit, just begin to move in his atmosphere. First thing you should always do is just let him love you. Just take a moment and let him love you. Lord, I just give you permission to love me, and he will always love you. Always. Love me, Lord. Love me. And he'll love you. And let his love come into you. Let his love center on you. I always, I always go, what are you saying? What are you doing? Talk to me. I don't even bring in my needs. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I go straight there and go, help. But a lot of, a lot of times in communion, I just listen to him. What are you saying? What are you doing? Grace is in the eye of the Lord. Spiritual power moving in love is found on what he's looking at. So I want to know what he's looking at. What are you looking at, Lord? What matters to you? What are you saying? What are you doing? Who are you to me? What are you revealing? What do you want to reveal about yourself to me? All of that. It's a conversation of communion in the spirit. It begins through worship, adoration, let him love you. You're reading your Bible. That's part of the, part of the equation. And then beginning to meditate in his world. On earth as it is in heaven. That's not a poem. You have an ability to think from his world to yours. You're going to be amazed what will change in your world. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed what your life will change. Your life will change. You start seeing and understanding from that, from that place. Very, very, very neglected gift. Can you imagine how creative the church would be if we accessed that world? We're dreamers and visionaries by commandment. We are to be dream dreams and dream and see visions. Acts chapter 2. We're to be the prophets of the culture, right? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They will call forth things that are not as though they were. They will summon things, and they will divinely speak life into, this, into the world. That's who we are. That's a mandate over us. I didn't say it was operational, but it is a mandate. You're a dreamer, and you're a visionary. Who told you you didn't have dreams? Who told you you didn't have visions? We're supposed to be dreamers and visionaries. Dream of something that's better. See things that are greater. I could go off on that. I was only trying to give you a summary of thinking. That was my intended goal. So here it is. You are loved. Say it with me. I'm loved. Say this with me. Change begins with the way I think. Say this. My thoughts are affecting my feelings. Right. I could teach you something about that, but I don't have any time. Say this. There is a war for my thoughts, and I choose to be on the side of Jesus. Say this, Holy Spirit, show me every area where there is stinking thinking. And then now when he shows you, repent, give it back to him. Then you access, say this, I will access the power of the Holy Spirit. I will begin to allow the foundation of Scripture to be laid within me. And I will enter in and activate in a new way of wisdom. You believe that? Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Let me bless you. We'll have a prayer team available for you if you need prayer for anything this morning. Um, I'm trying to see if anybody's on the prophetic team. I don't want to put Sherry out there because she's got to go. Any prophetic team people here? Ah, oh, Heinrich. Heinrich will be giving prophetic word. And Rika, would you like to give prophetic word? I'm going to put you out there, but I definitely put Heinrich out there. 
Heinrich's going to give prophetic word over there. So if you need word this morning, we're going to have Heinrich over there. And also we have the prayer team available. Let me bless you. Just open up your heart. May the Lord bless you. Just receive it. He wants to love you. Blessed in your coming in, Christian. Blessed in your going out. That is your Father's will. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. May the Lord give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.